This is Jessica. And this is episode 133 of the Double Knit Podcast. Woohoo! I know. Good evening. We're in it. Yes. Let's do it. Okay. What have you been knitting? Well, <laughs> funny thing, I left all my notes at home, but I'm going to use Ravelry to tell me and try to remember where we left off. Yeah, it's useful for that. I think we left off just before Madrona, right? Yeah. Which is ridiculous because Madrona feels like it was about four years ago. Yeah, it does. That's that's bonkers. I so, didn't go, but it still feels that way. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's see. At Madrona, I took a class on color blending on Original Hill Loom, which ended up not being that interesting a class. Um, it was just how to take a gradient set and weave them as a gradient, like just a plain tabby weave. But I decided to be like a little extra about it, and I dyed my own gradient set, which turned out really nicely. Um, I was, (laughs) I really was. And then I wove my scarf and it came out so good. I was so proud of myself. It looks really nice. Um, it was like, (laughs) it's blue and green. (laughs) Surprise. And it goes from blue to like light blue to deeper blue to bluey green to more greeny blue. (laughs) But it's a gradient. But anyway, it came out really well. I was very pleased with myself. Um, and then I'm doing my year-long knit-along for cowls this year. Um, and so the next one that we were doing, uh, number two, was Harbor Lights, which is Louise's Bangham pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar to a scarf I knit uh, a number of years ago called Safe Haven, where you knit um, a strip of little stockinette stitch squares. Oh, yeah, I remember that And then you pick one. up and you do some garter ridges. And then with this one, you... Um, there's a turning ridge, and then you do the inside of the cowl as well, where you do it in stripes, and then you turn again um, and pick up again. Um, anyway, so uh, so I did that in uh, Leftover Dicentra. Okay, so then I did it in Dicentra, some other scraps of sport weight yarn. Um, came out really nice. So then... In the same collection, there's a set of mitts called Port and Starboard, and I had talked about how I'm trying to, like, do more mitts instead of hats this year. Um, Those are cute. So I kind of, I did a riff on them. I didn't do them quite as written as written they would have had. So it's the same idea, though, where you knit a strip of um, squares, and then you pick up on one side, and then you pick up on the other side, and then... So do um, you, when you knit your squares, do you carry the... Colors up, or did I, you? I didn't because they're they're a little too long. Okay, so it's a little too. But I can't tell like how. Yeah, but you have that that pickup ridge there to weave oh, the yeah. ends into. So oh, that's meh. not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. And actually, I might have been even. I don't remember what I did with the cowl. I might not have even woven them in because it's enclosed. Oh, okay. You know, because you knit the yeah. you turn and then you knit the inside of the cowl and the mitts. That yeah, makes and then, sense. So then the mitts were super fast to do, and their main, the main color, uh, main yarn on them was um, a Blue Sky Alpaca Sport Weight, and then I used extra little bits of that Dicentra Moonbeam as my squares. I just did two squares. I think the original pattern, you were using like five colors or something, but um, it's super adaptable pattern. You could do it in absolutely anything. Um, I knit a boring hat. I knit um, a pair of camp out mitts which is a free pattern on Ravelry where you knit a little strip of garter stitch, which you join into the round, 
and then you pick up and then you knit the hand, the hand and that's like the top of the mitt and then you just knit the rest in stockinette stitch it's done in worsted weight yarn so this is um ancient ancient monos um super fast it's like less than 100 yards or something oh wow just like bang that out then well, so when i got home from madrona of course i got yarn from brooke of sincere sheep because i mm-hmm. love her yarn and i got home and i realized that i've purchased yarn from her at every event going back to i think her first event as sincere sheep which was like the second sock summit oh yeah together yeah um i've never knit any of it <laughs> like not a skein really and I was... Her yarn is so, so nice. I know. And I think it's like, I was like saving it. It was like too nice oh. to knit with. Are they a bunch of different bases or... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like every time I get something It'd be different. funny if you got like the same, like oh, the same yeah. base, but... I'm not quite you know. that dorky. <laughs> but every time I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful one. This is a beautiful one. So, um, I decided I'm going to knit some of her yarn. So I used... It's not even on Ravelry. It was... A couple of years ago, before Madrona, she announced she had a Targi silk blend. Mm-hmm. And then I got to her booth and I'm like, where's Targi at? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, I didn't even unpack it. It's like in the hall. And I was like, and she's like, you can go look. <laughs> so I went into the hall and like dug through her bins, her like backup yarn <laughs> and found myself a skein. It came in a DK and a worsted. Um so I used the skin of the DK that I got because it was a big put up. This DK was like 365 yards, something in that neighborhood. Um, and I knit the next cowl for our knit along, which was the diamond necklace cowl, which is a um, Susan Ashcroft pattern where it's just a garter stitch um, background with a little diamond lace pattern, super fast, really easy to knit. Um, and this was a great yarn for it because it has, um, it was a, it's a really um, crispy kind of yarn. It's got a really crisp stitch definition. It's got like a little bit of crunch to it, mm-hmm. um, which I love. And I and 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 so Brooks yarns are all beautifully naturally dyed. Mm-hmm. This is a blue skein of yarn, like mm-hmm. full on blue. There was zero crocking. Like that's I amazing. I didn't have like a hint Good of job, blue Brooke. on my hand or like on the part of your finger where you tension your yarn. Yeah. Nothing, and I was so impressed. So she's a real professional. I know, but I mean, there's lots of people who know what they're doing, but it still bleeds. You know, indigo bleeds a little, um, but none, which was amazing. Okay, then the next one, you're gonna enjoy this. I was like, kind of going through. I frogged. I was. I've been reorganizing my office, so I was pulling all this stuff out, and I frogged a few old things that had just been sitting on the needles forever. Um, but one of the things I found was the, if you've been a long time listener, the mystery animal knit along <laughs> I did. The gray gingerbread band? Yes. <laughs> Short version, mystery animal knit along. I chose gray yarn. It turned out it was supposed to be a gingerbread man. I had a gray gingerbread man, didn't know what to do with that. So I gave him ears and a tail and he's been done for like ages and I never gave him a face. So mm-hmm. I spent like four minutes embroidering a face, although mm-hmm. I think... I don't know. Eh. And this is why I think I didn't do it because, like, I feel like I can knit an animal and it's like, oh, it's cute. And then I embroider the details on it. And I'm like, eh, never ruined it. <laughs> like, I just, I'm not a confident stitcher. Like, embroidery on knitwear is a little more difficult because if you go, like, the stitches can pop through easily yeah. if you're doing, like, anything that's a short stitch. And, and also, yeah, trying to, like, space them. Like, the mm-hmm. knitting kind of dictates, like, where your stitches. Yeah. 
kind of can end anyway. So, but I just also am just not a confident stitcher. Like I, like I, whenever I embroider a face, I'm always like the eyes are too high, they're too low, they're too far apart, they're too close together. Just never happy with it. But I just like slapped a face on it and was like done, and that felt so good. <laughs> so I finished him, and then. I was all fired up to uh, just, like, finish a bunch of stuff that was sitting around. I went back to Braidsmaid, which I'd started in, like, September or something, I, that I'd knit a bit of. Um, it's a Martina Bean pattern that has um, a reversible... It's a garter stitch triangle that has a reversible uh, cable on it. Okay. That, um, that makes a turn with the shawl and kind of tapers off to one side. And I was doing it in some yarn that I had dyed myself that I was really happy with the dye job with. Um, and then I just w- decided, like, I'm going to finish this. I got really fired up, very single-minded about it, and just powered through, like, the last, I don't know, 700 yards of yarn. <laughs> um, but, and then I ran out. And yeah. it's weird because it's one of those patterns where the only guide push she gives you is, like, at this point, stop when you're, once you've used... 30% of your yarn, mm-hmm. something like that. And I did, and then I still ran out. Huh. So I kind of, like, really fudged the, the end of it. It's it's very a very abrupt ending to the, <laughs> to the triangle. But, like, I don't know what else I was going to do. It's like, I ran out of yarn. I, at first I was like, maybe I'll die more, but there's no way it was ever going to match. I was like, yeah. I'm just calling it done. That's what I would have done, too. So bound that sucker off. Um... Also, then I got, again, cleaning out the office. I'm like, I can actually reach my weaving stuff. I pulled up my rigid head of loom one day. I had a day off. I pulled out um, the bag of barefoot millens that I have been working my way through with weaving projects for, like, I don't know, six years or something. (laughs) This is also, like, longtime listeners may remember that I once, uh, someone on Ravelry needed a single skein of Halo in off-white color from Dale of Norway, which was, like, at the time, a $6 ball of yarn. And I said, oh, I work at a yarn shop. We sell it. I have it. I could just buy one and send it to you. And she's like, oh, cool. I'm one of the owners of Mountain Colors. Would you be interested in some Millens? And I was like, that's such a funny thing. I just knit a baby <laughs> a baby surprise jacket using Millens of Barefoot. I would love some. So she sent me, like, a pound and a half <laughs> of barefoot millens that I have been weaving into scarves now for many years. But so this one, I just, I was all fired up. Went to warp the loom. And I'm like, that's weird. This is taking a lot more yarn than the other one I did. And then I realized I had the 12-dent reed in my loom oh. instead of the 10-dent reed. So many, many more ends. But then I was like, oh, crap. Do I undo this? What do I do? And I thought, oh, I bet I have a lace weight I could just use as the the weft instead. And went into my newly organized room, was able to just pull out my lace weight. And I had a randomly purchased, like, skein of Cherry Tree Hill Baby Loop Mohair in a dark purple that I bought at the stash sale at Fort Warden's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, sometime thinking, like, maybe I'll weave with this. Um, And used that as a weft, and it turned out great. Um, because, uh, here, I'm showing Aaron the picture on my phone because you can still really see oh, the yeah. warp colors really That's nicely. Fun. And there was some purple and some greens in the warp. And so yeah, the purple together. of the mohair goes really nicely with it. And it feels really nice. Like you don't even see the baby the loop loops. of it. It's just soft and really drapey. And I kept the set really wide on it. Like it's really loosely woven. I mean, not loosely woven, but it's just got a lot of space between the weft. Um, 
to really make sure that you could see the warp threads. Um, yeah, so I was really happy with the way it came out. Although I still always forget just how much take up there is on a Cricut loom. Um, and then I always end up with a scarf that's about a foot shorter than I mean for it uh, to be. Cause I'm like, Oh, a nine foot warp. That's great. And then I end up with like this little six foot scarf and I'm like, damn it. I wanted a seven foot scarf. So I did that. That took a day to do like less than a day to do. Um, I was super obsessed with that. And then I was on Ravelry and I saw the pattern fighting words, which I know you knit many years oh, ago, yeah, yeah. which is the little, it's like, um, color work mitts and one hand says, uh, pow. And one says, bam, bam. like, and it's yeah. written like little comic book, mm-hmm. um, things. There's and also an alternate chart that says pew that pew. Says pew pew. <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah. So I saw it and I was like, that would be perfect to make someday for my coworker, Thomas, who is like a comic book nerd. Um, and then I went into work like the next day and turned the page on my planner and saw that his birthday was on Saturday. Oh. And I'm like, I gotta make these for Thomas. So <laughs> I frantically, I spent all week like knit, 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 knit to make them. Didn't get them done in time to get them to him on his birthday, but I gave them to him today. Oh yeah. I think he really liked them. Nice. But they came out really cute and I used, um, hazelnuts in, um, like a hot, pink rogue color and just some black cascade heritage on those. Um, and then, yeah, so I was really happy with the way those turned out. And then right now I'm knitting a couple of, I, this isn't really a very unique idea, but, um, I had a bunch of little odds and ends of sock yarn that I never know what to do with. Um, and I could knit them into helix hats, but I don't know somehow like sock yarn hat just feels like it takes forever and it's not that warm. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to do them, uh, to just do plain knit hats with the sock yarn doubled. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing right now. So, so this is like, like funky marl. Yeah. I like it. It's kind of fun. So I have this one and then I have another one. This one is just like a million odds and ends of mostly, it started with mostly koigu and now I'm just working into whatever the heck I had. But I've got another one where the, there's sort of, um, I have some Schaefer Anne in blue that's sort of like my main color. And then mm-hmm. I'm just knitting the other stuff with it. Those are like your colors. I know it's, <laughs> it's blues and greens, yeah. but, um, but the fact that like I have enough of this one skein mm-hmm. that I'll be knitting everything else with this combined with it, it will sort of unify all my oh, yeah. colors. Um, but it's, you know, it knits up like a worsted weight. So I'm knitting it on like an eight. So just a fast, easy hat, but just sort of a different look and it, you know, and yet another way for me to use scraps. So, yay. yay. <laughs> so, whew, that's what I'm doing. I like this one a lot. Yeah, I mean, this, I like that one, but this is, This like, one's real really funky. crazy. Yeah. Well, because it was a blue and then a multi, uh, like a pretty solid blue and then a multicolored pink koigu. Mm-hmm. And then when I ran out of the blue, then I went with another multicolored koigu that was sort yeah. of pastel-y colors. Now I'm getting into, like, really crazy just very random stuff at the top of the hat. I just like how this looks like, um, you know, I'm not hugely into crazy variegated or whatever. So like this, this is like a subdued version that I can deal with. Yeah. It kind of quiets it down. It also breaks up any kind of fun, weird patterning Mm -hmm. that might happen if you were knitting with a variegated yarn. It's cool. Although it's kind of funny because every once in a while, like the two colors would sort of like merge just by coincidence, like, I'll be pink on this mm-hmm. round, you know, this little set of stitches. Yeah, but you don't get, like, flashing or anything. Yeah, no. Kind of crazy but it was, it's fun. It's super fast. So, but, and, and then I was digging around, like, Ooh, what else do I have? But mm-hmm. I don't have that many sock yarn scraps yeah. anymore because I don't really knit socks anymore. 
So I'm going to finish these up and then I'll be like done with that. <laughs> On to the next thing, I guess. Very nice. What are you knitting? Uh, Speaking of knitting socks. I know. This is also <laughs> yarn from Sock Summit. Ooh. This is Alpha B. Oh, yeah. The color I still have some Alpha B left is, over uh, that. Pendleton Roundup, I think. Pretty. Yeah, it's the BFL one, which I really like because I like BFL a lot. Yeah. It's like super bouncy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just knitting a vanilla sock. Lovely. Is that for you? For charity. Oh, cool. My, I cannot fit any more socks in my sock oh, drawer. Okay. I abs- there's like, there's no room. <laughs> it's done. That's over. Yeah. And I was going through checking to see which ones have holes and then like one pair is like on the verge and I was just like, you know, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I don't need 40 pairs of socks in yeah. the drawer. It's true. Yeah. Uh, well, that's why I stopped knitting socks at some point because I was just like, I have all the socks that a sane person needs. Yeah. So these will go to charity. Um, and they're great bust knitting, you know, just a plain sock. Yeah. Um, let's see. So I'm knitting this and I'm knitting a sweater pattern. It's called the Princess Twinset Jumper. It sounds super fancy, right? It's by Susan Crawford. I was going to say it sounds like a vintage pattern. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, from her coronation knits. I just oh. bought the one pattern. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm using Hazelnut's Lyric. Which is her new lace weight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just 100% merino in the color silhouette. So it's a medium gray. Mm. And it's also on 2.75 millimeter needles. <laughs> so it's taking a while. But I have the back done that's right there, it's actually. Super, super wearable when you're done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's just, uh, it's not super cropped, but it's like vintage cropped. Um, and it's mostly in stock in it with one by one rib at the bottom. And then it has like a split neck in the back where you're supposed to sew snaps, but I don't like sewing snaps into knitwear. Yeah. So uh, I'm doing, I did buttonholes between the little cable oh. stitches because it's a four stitch cable on the placket part. Mm-hmm. So I did it just a yarn over buttonhole. So oh, okay. So three little buttons. Little buttons yeah. There. I have some vintage buttons that are small and glass. It'll be perfect. Funny. Um, Fun. That's so funny. You're so weird. Uh, And I started the front, and I'm just, like, in the main stockinette portion. But once you get up above where you shape for the armholes, there's um, a pattern of that same cable stitch. It's like a four-stitch cable. Just on the front yoke? Yeah. Okay. And it has short sleeves. The thing is, is, like, I had two skeins of Lyric in there... 800 or 600 yards each. I can't remember. Um, which I'm pretty sure I'll have enough, but I'm not sure how long I want the sleeves. Mm. So I'm going to do the front and the back. I'm going to um, do a three-needle bind-off on the shoulders and then block it. Sew up the sides, try it on, and then see, see where I want the sleeves to mm-hmm. be. Because um, I might knit the sleeves top down. I yeah. decided just so I can... Eat out every little bit yeah. of yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what I've been working on. It's not a lot, but the, that's a pretty fine gauge mm-hmm. uh, or a sweater. But I finished a bunch of stuff. You sure did. I knit some orange socks for Noah that was also in yarn from Sock Summit. Looking <laughs> <laughs> uh, through that Sock Summit stash. Mm-hmm. Uh Basically, I've just pull, been pulling out stuff that's already wound and like, knitting yeah. the socks with it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm lazy like that. Uh, and he loves them. It's efficient. You're efficient. Lazy and efficient. Efficient. Um, 
And then another pair of stockinette socks for charity. And some, I think you're another Amanda gave me. It was oh, like okay. in this lavender color. I'm pretty sure I didn't buy it. This blue koi goose from Amanda. Oh, yeah. Years ago, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I finished my aperture, sh- aperture shawl. I had a hard time seeing that last time too. By mm. Amber O'Brien, it's just a yarn over kind of triangular shawl mm-hmm. out of old yarn from uh, one of the pearly girls retreats. Like Summit. <laughs> no, mm, from the Artful You. Oh. It was like a silk merino blend oh, in like yum. gray. I haven't even blocked it. Yet. It's just oh. like. I'm trying to work my way through my giant basket of hand knitting Mm because now that it's getting warmer, I'm not, I don't constantly have stuff in there to wash. Yeah. Even though I'm still wearing knitwear, but like I just washed my Christmas sweater. Oh, wow. A couple weeks ago. So, yeah. My wife has been very busy lately, I feel like. Um, It takes longer for stuff to dry when it's damp. So. I knit a find your fade shawl, which is yes. very, very big. big. I didn't block that either, but already yeah. it's big. You you don't even need to block the freaking thing. It's so heavy. It's gonna well, I want to wash itself. it because I was carrying That's it around true, with yeah. me, and it gets gr- stuff gets gross. Um, but I used mostly I used all stash yarn, mm-hmm. mostly Hue Loco yarns that I bought. Um, one tweed and the rest were misfits, I think. Um, and it goes from like scummy olive green to like mint, which sounds really weird and is slightly clashy, but I really like it. <laughs> and then it goes into, um, like a mint and gray and then dark gray, just a tiny bit at the end. I did make it shorter. So you increase to a certain amount and then you decrease mm-hmm. on one side and I just increased the rate of decreases. Increased the rate of decreases. <laughs> I did more decreases on the decrease portion by doing a knit two together at the end yeah. of the row. Um, so the angle's steeper, but... How long do you think yours is? I don't know. It's pretty big. Mine is like nine feet. I mean, I've I've complained to Aaron in, in yeah. person about this before. Mine is nine feet long. And that even when I wear it wrapped double around my neck, one of the ends seems to always end up like dragging on the ground. And then I was just noticing the last time I wore it too, since I used all, um, like merino sock yarns or Mm -hmm. merino nylon blends, it's not that warm because Mm. those yarns don't really like hold a lot of air. And it's, and then I have like this tiny, you know, much smaller shawl that I knit, you know, that's in, um like a non-superwash wool, maybe slightly heavier gauge. And it's so, oh, the braids made that I just finished. Mm-hmm. That's in like a heavy fingering weight, maybe sport weight, but it's a hundred percent wool and it's mm-hmm. a woolen spun. And it's about a thousand times warmer. Yeah. It's so cozy. It keeps you so nice and warm. And then that fade, it's like, I wrap it around myself a hundred times and I don't feel any warmer. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> no, I'm just annoyed. I'm like, again, like all those sock yarns, they're so slippery and slithery and mm-hmm. which can be nice for a shawl. But when it got that big, it's so heavy. It kind of fights itself. Yeah. I don't know. This is my gripe. About so I'm not it. sure. I think it might be like seven feet. Oh, okay. of like maybe a little nine. more manageable. Yeah. Um, nine is crazy. So I'm going to block that because that's not blocked either. I've just been finishing mm-hmm. it and then like watching my older, my more need, the knits I need to wash more, mm. basically, instead of the new stuff. 
Um, but I like it. And it was an easy knit. Mm-hmm. It took, felt like it took forever. It took forever. But, um, Finding your fade takes a really long time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was good to get up, like, use all that stash yarn I know. together. It's, it's like pretty fun. Like four full skeins of sock yarn. Yeah. Nuts. A lot. Uh, last but not least, I knit Sigrun. I think that's how you say it, which is a sweater. It's a t- uh, bottom up color work yoke sweater mm-hmm. by Jennifer Steingas. I think it's Steingas. It might be Steinglass, but I think it's Steingas. Um, <laughs> I was just remembering that last time I was talking about how much I hate knitting three colors in a row in yes. color work. And there's a lot of that in this sweater. It looks so good, though. It looks like, really good. It's the That's the problem now. It's like once you've done a decent amount of color work, the patterns that catch your eye of like, ooh, you're pretty, mm-hmm. are ones that have three colors in a round because yeah. it'll, it opens up more possibilities of what you can do with the color work. That, yeah. And it's like I keep catching myself doing that, too, where I, I see something and I'm like, that's really pretty. And then I'm like, it's got to be. That's why I'm attracted to it. It's like six rounds on and six rounds off. So mm-hmm. six rounds with two and then six rounds with three. Um, but it's just in the yoke, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not too much. It knitting. does have, the pattern call does have uh, color work at the cuffs and at the hem, but I took that out. Mm-hmm. So I was using all stash yarn. So mm-hmm. the, the main body is this dark purple Reynolds Versailles, which is this long discontinued yarn. I think oh, I got yeah. it from Abby when she brought in yarn. Oh, she brought like a bunch of yarn one of her parishioners yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. That's an so, oldie. Yeah. It's 100% wool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I chose the pattern was I knit a gauge swatch. Um, I knit a couple of gauge swatches and decided what fabric I liked. I measured it and I searched Ravelry for the gauge. Mm. And this is one that came up. Um, let's see. made some other adjustments with it. So I removed that color work. I moved the shaping from the sides to the front and the back because that's more flattering on me for more of a like princess tube. Yeah, like the tube sweater mm. things. Yeah. Um, just I think if you're busty, it looks better. Yeah. Also, I don't have a very narrow waist front on, so having the shaping there doesn't really do anything. Yeah. So moving it to the fronts and the backs is more flattering for me personally. She suggests you knit the pattern with like three inches of positive V's and I knit it with zero and I'm totally happy with it. Um, I know it's supposed to be like a relaxed look, but I feel like those kind of relaxed color work yoke sweaters, having too much positive ease just makes them look sloppy. Yeah. Um, and I think it also depends on how you wear it. Like, you know, if you're going to wear, like, a big oversized shirt, then you want to wear it with, like, skinny jeans. You know, like, mm-hmm. you've got to kind of balance it out. And mm-hmm. and I think, I don't know, I think it works better on some figures than on others. Yeah. I mean, you've got curves. It's just, yeah, it just looks like you're yeah. just wearing a really big sweater. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to look larger than I am. And yeah. I was already worried about it because I'm busty. And yeah. sometimes the color work yoke sweaters do not flatter that. Mm-hmm. I think choosing the zero E's meant that the color work yoke ended above my full bust. Yes. So you can still see that I have a chest. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't tip down in there and like cover the fact that I have a chest, which yeah. is fine or, by me. Or like create some real busyness over the fullest part of the bust, yeah. which for me I think is not super flat. Like I, 
yeah, I'm always very mindful with patterns about like where does the patterning fall in relationship to the fullest part of the bust? Because if it's like just below the fullest part of the bust, yeah. for me that's like the worst. Because then it just makes it like it drags like your bust down. Yeah, and then it makes your bust look re- even bigger yeah. and pulled down. So yeah, I definitely like it when it ends just above the fullest part yeah. of the bust because it kind of de-emphasizes the bust and doesn't pull down at all. Yeah. So uh, all around, I was very happy with my choices. I was not happy that it was cold again, but happy that I wore it. And I wore it with, like, skinny jeans to work. So you can wear jeans to work now. Uh, I think it was last week. I was really freezing cold at work. Um, And the three-color color work was not too bad. Yeah. I think... Oh, I used Blend Number 1 by Yuzolda in it, because I had some of that. Pretty. And I used... Uh, Re, Zilana, Re, Remu? Remu. The DK, Andy brought me back some. Oh, cool. So I used that for the green. And then I used 220 Sport for the, for like a hot pink, mm. um, magenta. And, uh, I've worn it a ton since yeah. I finished Does it. Does the Remu, like, have sort of a fuzzy... Yeah, a bit, little, it's almost, a little almost bit. bohusy, like adding like a little bit of angora. In yeah, there. and I also that just... The Remu po- has possum in it. Yeah. Like New Zealand possum. And I was actually a little worried because that's heavier than the other two yarns mm-hmm. I used, but it all they, comes out they evened them. out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really wanted to use stash yarn for cool. the sweater, and I just have a tiny bit of the purple left, maybe enough to knit part of a hat, but not a whole hat. So I was I've very had excited. in my queue for a while, and I keep getting distracted, you know, squirrel, squirrel, getting distracted by other things, but I uh, want to knit um, Elizabeth Doherty's Lineate hat. And, I'm, oh, yeah. and I have some Remu fingering mm-hmm. in this really, like, scummy green color. And then I have, like, a, some other old sock yarn that I was going to knit with It's it. super nice to knit but, with. And it would be a super warm hat, too. It'll yeah. be really nice. I mean, I knit Fletcher by Elizabeth Doherty out of it. Oh, wow. So this is my leftover. That was like a really warm sweater. It's really hat. Hat, I mean. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, Fletcher, right? Yeah. Hat, hat, Yes. That must be really warm. It's super it's toasty. All that. Because that's it's the because one I have is the Remo and the fingering weight, mm-hmm. and even that I think is going to be really warm for me. Yeah, it's really warm. I think I I wore it when it was like thirty. Whatever. I know. So I'm never cold enough <laughs> in Seattle to wear a hat for more than like a block. So I, it's the weather's really weird now. Um, when I leave to go to the bus stop, because I start work at seven thirty, so I catch a seven o'clock bus, and um, it's like thirty two degrees or something at the bus stop. And then when I leave, it's like 60 something degrees. Yeah, it's so. springtime weather where you just like don't know how to dress yourself at all. So I'm like carrying around little accessories with me because mm-hmm. I'll wear like wear that or another hat or something at the bus stop. And then it has to be small enough and collapsible enough to stick in my bag on the way home. Yeah. Lovely Seattle weather. Crazy Yeah, Seattle. so that's, I finished a bunch of stuff and some large projects and then... Cool. Just knitting the two. I've been doing a lot of sewing on Fridays. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into it. I talk about it on Instagram a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's move into books. Pass. Did you (laughs) not finish your book club book? I haven't finished. I'm I'm like hiding my face (laughs) in shame. I haven't finished a book club book in a while. Last few. Well, so one of them was we were reading Ursula Gwynn's No Time to Spare. And it's all about this idea of, like, you know, what's this idea of free time, like, you know, and just making use of your time the way you want, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, 
I really want to spin instead of read this book. And I think <laughs> Ursula would approve of that. <laughs> so I did. Because I've been trying to do... I fell off the bandwagon this month because I've gotten a little obsessive about my knitting projects. Mm -hmm. But I've been doing the spin 15 a day this year. Um, or I had been. I, I need to get back to it. But, um, yeah, so... I have not finished any books. Uh, I have read some books. Mm-hmm. I read... Oh, I'm in, like, halfway through A Wind in the Door. Madeline Lingle. It's the oh, second yeah. of the Wrinkle in Time series. And it's good. Um... I mean, it's really fast. I just stopped it because I picked up books at the library and I have to read those first. And I own Wind in the Door. Um... Let's see... I have such strong memories of all the kids in fourth grade reading Madeline Langle mm -hmm. and just not being interested in it. Like, even then, I didn't like fantasy as a mm -hmm. genre, and I was like, I don't want... But I had such a, like, FOMO, like, <laughs> kind of like, everyone else is reading it, I should be reading it. And, like, even now, like, the movie's coming out and everyone's talking about it, and I'm like, I never read it. I didn't read it in fourth grade. I can't. I you could read it in a day. I know, but it's like I still don't want to. Yeah. I still, it's still. Yeah, I'm not high. really a fantasy person, but I really liked it. Mm. I did. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe once I finish a book club book, I can think about it. <laughs> I like the uh, the family dynamic and how the adults talk to the children mm. as if they're human beings, which is nice. What? Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so I'm reading that. I read The Passage by Justin Cronin, which is a really long book. I got it when we were in Portland in February. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just finished it. It took me like a month to read. Ooh. It's like almost a thousand pages. Woo, okay. So it's about, um, it's pre and post apocalypse, and it has to do with a government experiment on, um, some inmates who are on death row, they they kind of fake their deaths, tell the men that they, you know, have, like, you can stay here and definitely die, or you can go be a part of this thing. There's some criteria they have to meet. So there's 12 of them, and then also a little girl who's part of that same experiment. Things go horribly wrong, apocalypse happens, and then this is, like, a hundred years after... So the first third of the book is, like, how the events leading up mm -hmm. to it. There's, like, a little bridge section that is um, kind of a biography that this elderly woman has written about her being a kid after the outbreak has happened. Mm -hmm. And it bridges between that, the, the outbreak of the virus, to... The story that continues, which is survivors mm -hmm. of the outbreak, um, and how they survive. Yeah. Did you like it? I did like it, and there's it's a series, oh, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, I haven't attempted the second book yet. I thought I would try an audiobook, but it's too much. I can't. <laughs> also, the narrator for the audiobook. Um, was the narrator for Helter Skelter, oh. the audio Helter Skelter. Yeah. So I definitely can't do that. I'm like, no. it's too distracting. He has a very um, specific delivery mm -hmm. method. Yeah. And I just, I was like, no, you're not talking about Charlie Manson. I can't. No. Uh, 
But speaking of Charlie Manson, I'm reading Member of the Family by Diane Lake. Uh-huh. Uh, Diane Lake was a, one of the Manson family. Mm-hmm. And she she testified against Charlie Manson oh, yeah. during yeah. his trial. It's pretty good so far. I mean, and she does start at childhood because she had kind of a weird childhood. Mm-hmm. Her dad wanted to, like, moved. They lived um, in, like, a suburb of the Twin Cities, I think. And her dad wanted to be this, like, artist, hippie kind of guy and moved to California and live in Berkeley and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was super into jazz. So there's some family stuff going code on. for smoking pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom didn't really seem into it, but whatever. So I just started it because there were a million holds on it at the library. So I am listening to that as an audio book. Mm-hmm. Um, and Diane Lake reads it and she's, oh. she's a fairly good reader. She's not oh. the best. Yeah. Um, do, do, do. Oh, I finished Nutshell by Ian McEwen and I hated it. Oh no. Uh, that's kind of pretentious. Mm. It's basically a murder story where the narrator is a ba- <laughs> a baby in utero. So... He's oh. like he's like in on the scheme. So it's his mother, her new lover, who happens to be the brother of her husband, mm. and the husband's this uh, owns a publishing house for poetry, and he's been kicked out of the house, living in these scuzzy flats somewhere. And then Claude, who is a Claude, uh, has moved in, semi moved in to the house with the mom, Trudy. And they're having this affair and planning on how to kill Cla- uh, how to kill the husband whose name I've already forgotten. The core of the story is really interesting. Just hated everything around it. Huh. Like the prose was just kind of stilted, but really pretentious, which I mm. hate. Um, and I really liked Atonement, and I like yeah. I've liked his other works. So this is just it was not for me. That's a bummer. Yeah, hmm. and I like anger read it. I skimmed the last third Ooh. just to get the actual story well, of what happens. I think I talked about this the last time I recorded that one of the books we were reading for book club was Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. Mm. And I was so annoyed by it and thought it was so boring that I skimmed the last, like, 150 pages in about 10 minutes before book club. Yeah. And I don't think I missed anything. I don't think the prose, like, contributed anything to the experience. Um which I just found that whole book so dully written. Um, we might have ranted about this already on the last time mm-hmm. we recorded, but yeah. Yeah, it just made me kind of angry. That's and too bad. It reminds, yeah. the, that premise though reminds me of what Behind the Scenes of the Museum by Kate Atkinson, which is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, she's narrating her life story from the moment of her conception, so you are getting her, like, some of her narration is when she's in utero, but it's very. It's very funny. And yeah, that, I was drawn to it because I thought the idea was interesting, mm-hmm. and I was like, ooh, murder thingy. That, that seems good. I like Ian McEwen, but yeah. it just mm-hmm. didn't pan out for me. It doesn't it's have funny. terrible ratings on Goodreads or anything, mm-hmm. um, but it just, it's not that long. Yeah. It's still, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, on that note, what have you been watching? Oh, Lord. Okay, I've been watching so much Do you want to stuff, talk but... about Isle of Dogs first? Yeah, Because I saw that, too. Okay, wait, but we both saw Black Panther. I have not seen Black oh, I thought, Panther. Oh, I thought you saw it. Oh, no. Okay, I saw Black it. Panther, like everyone else. I really liked it. Um, visuals are great. 
Um, the characters are great, but I found myself, um, not really like getting into, like I found myself looking at it going like, Ooh, these visuals are great. That's really interesting. Like I was, I was like, you didn't intellectualizing it. Yeah. I wasn't like drawn into it, which, um, afterwards I was like, huh, but I, it was, it looks great. Good performances, good characters. Um, great. Like the, the costume design. I think that's the thing is like, they did so much like super interesting stuff with like the Afrofuturism and the costumes mm-hmm. and all of these very like interesting specific references in the costuming that I was like so fascinated. I was kind of like looking all over the screen of like, Ooh, there's that. And there's that. And it was, it was really, that was really interesting. But anyway, I love dogs. Okay. First, we both cried when we saw the trailer for Won't You <laughs> Be My Rogers Neighbor. Mr. Rogers documentary. Mr. Rogers documentary. I burst into tears in the middle yeah. of the, just the commercial for that documentary. And then... Well, the part of it was how they presented it. They were like, oh, so, you know, divorce was on the rise. So we did a week of about divorce. And he talks and talking to, like, shows him talking to these little kids about divorce. And then about, um, people... Like white people not wanting black people to swim in their swimming pools, so he had his yeah postman yeah right, and they were in the they had their feet in the kiddie pool together, and I was just like, oh my god, he's so wonderful. I know, (laughs) just made me very emotional. Yeah, it's just such a a touchstone from childhood, like. And it's funny, like, obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast at all, you know, I'm like, I'm still obsessed with Muppets from when I was a kid in this very, like. ridiculous way and mr rogers is the sort of thing like you outgrow it like there's just an age where mm-hmm. you're not going to like i'm not that interested to sit down and watch an episode of mr rogers neighborhood anymore other than like for the nostalgia of it um but seeing it again it just taps into something like this was something that was so warm and special in childhood mm-hmm. like it was, he was just this like beautiful kind presence in like so many childhoods <laughs> it's like it's something that we just don't have anymore nope um sure and i don't. think they're trying to draw a lot of they're trying to also draw a lot of contrasts of like that because there you don't have this sort of thing in the world anymore and that like maybe the, you know more is the pity that like we could use a little kindness and a little and sort of slow things down in children's lives and, you know, and take the time to talk to them in a, in an honest and a kind mm-hmm. way about the things that concern them. But it made me, um, my younger son had, like, doesn't know who Mr. Rogers is. Like, he mm-hmm. was, you know, it was long off the air when he was a kid. And so I was, I was going to pull up a clip to show him. And the clip that I found, the first one that I found was Mr. Rogers visit Sesame Street, which I had completely oh, forgotten yeah. about. Crossover episode. <laughs> where um, it was in, it was early days because it was yeah. before the grown-ups could see Snuffleupagus. Oh. And so Big Bird is, wants to have a foot race, and he stops this man on the street and asks him if he'll be the judge. And then it's Mr. Rogers, but he doesn't know that. And then Mr. Rogers has to leave before Snubblehub gets, gets to the cross the finish line. So even he doesn't think that there's really this other friend. Um, and then, but then, then as they leave, Big Bird introduces himself and he says, Oh, and I'm Mr. Rogers. And he's like, 
you're Mr. Rogers. And then he gets in a car and he drives away. And then all the grownups come out who already don't believe him about Snuffleupagus. And then he's like, Mr. Rogers was here. Snuffy and I had a race and Mr. Rogers was the judge. And they're all like, oh, sure he was, Big Bird. Mm -hmm. But then Mr. Rogers comes back to talk to Big Bird later to apologize for taking off. And it's, it's so sweet. It's like just this total like confluence of like, everything that like makes me warm and mushy about my childhood and i was like oh they don't have stuff like this for kids anymore it's all no. like frenetic crazy stuff for kids now yeah uh i think that comes out in july or june or july i think cried and i'm cried. really excited i'm gonna ball so yeah i'm just totally. gonna take a bunch of tissues totally yeah but, but i love dogs i love dogs it was great <gasps> so good did you take audrey i did how? She, she's she was fine because it's um, PG-13 it is. and like for a reason I was really like she didn't get some of the story plot stuff um so it, so the premise yeah. so this is Wes Anderson's new film it's stop motion animated like he did for Fantastic Mr. Fox which I love it is a story set in a like an alternate future Japan and they say at the outset that the characters all the characters are like who speak Japanese or they speak Japanese and that unless there happens to be some translation available, like that's it. So there are like big chunks, uh, like scenes that take place where characters are speaking in Japanese and it's not translated. Yeah. Um, and I thought like it was really interesting as an adult watching it. But if you brought a very young child, it would have the people been next to us. super frustrating yeah. and confounding. Also, I was super frustrated because the guy was reading, there were a few subtitles and oh, the dad was having to them. read them too. But their, yeah. one of their kids was like four or five and she was bored to tears Oh, the, and just messing around. The teenagers in front of me were bored. I had to tell one of them to put their phone away yeah. at some point. Um, yeah. And then, but also it's PG-13 and the themes are like, dark there's like murder and death and uh uh, surgery and like Mm -hmm. like pretty graphic stuff um so yeah like i would definitely not suggest bringing small children to this at all and they're just not going to enjoy it at all yeah i showed Um, audrey the trailer and i was like this is gonna be different from other movies you've seen and she said no i want to see it yeah but she didn't get like that the kobayashi were cat lovers mm. and they were pitted against like the dog thing yeah. so she didn't understand why they, they had all the cat symbolism oh right all through it yeah so there were some things she missed yeah um, so but the she idea did like it we're in um the city of megasaki sometime in the future in japan where short version all these dogs have been van- been banned and they've all been sent to garbage island. island um and then uh, a 12 year old boy who's the mayor's ward, um, fly, steals a plane and flies there to rescue his dog. special guard dog, Spots. Um, so Spotsu. <laughs> so all the Japanese characters speak in Japanese. There's occasional scenes like there's, um, where there's like a, a translator character, like when they're doing um, like political presentations. But, um, but the dogs are all voiced by American actors. And it's like the whole Wes Anderson. And British. Tilda Swinton's Oracle. Oh, yeah. Tilda Swinton's Oracle. That was hilarious. Um, But so it's sort of the Wes Anderson stable of actors. So you've got like Harvey Keitel in there and Mm -hmm. Ed Norton and um, Bill Murray um, and Tilda Swinton. And 
And then, uh, oh, F. Murray Abraham, who's been in other stuff. Um, who, who are the other dog voices? They're oh, Aleve uh, Schreiber was a yeah. one. Oh, Scarlett Johansson. And Scarlett Johansson. Is Nutmeg. Is Nutmeg. And, uh, I don't know, does Peppermint ever talk? Not a lot of girls. No. Like, Jared was sort of pointing out, like, not much roles for girls in mm-hmm. this. And then there's an American girl who's an exchange student who's voiced by Greta Gerwig. I liked her. And, uh, I'd say, so Wes and I, um, had a lot of conversation around this because when I first heard this movie was being made, Wes, my husband, not Wes Anderson, I'm not on a first name basis <laughs> with Wes Anderson, um... When I first heard, like, oh, Wes Anderson's making another stop-motion film, I was like, yes! And then it's like, set in Japan, and I was like, oh, crap! Yeah. Because, you know, it does sort of come up, like... Cultural appropriation. Is it cultural appropriation? Is it really Wes Anderson's place to tell a story about Japan? You know, especially in light of the fact that, like, Asian-American or Asian filmmakers aren't being given as many opportunities to reach a wider audience. So there was sort of that, and I... So I felt like, for me, the Tracy character, who's this American exchange student who kind of becomes the voice of the revolution, in part because she's the person who speaks that you can understand because she speaks English, um, was a little maybe verging on white savior. Like, oh, it takes an American to rally around this idea. It did, like, Um, her giant blonde friend. Yes. Well, that's the thing, too, is, like, she's so... um, Outlandish, you know, she's got like her mm-hmm. giant fro and she's covered in freckles and big blowing her big bubble gum and she's mm-hmm. so American. Um yeah, but I just thought the I love the storytelling, I love the whole conceit of that there's section you know, there's conversations that happen that you don't actually know what the people are saying, but as an audience member you completely understand what's happening, even mm-hmm. though you don't understand the specifics of it. And yeah, kind of I really, those... I really liked that the dogs were translated for us and the humans weren't, and I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it was that pretty... the dogs couldn't understand what humans were saying. I yeah, know, that was really. <laughs> but I just like thinking about being a person and watching dogs do this stuff. Yeah, and not getting it. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. They're like all looking at each other and like talking, but like. They're having a conversation that I'm not part of. Yeah. Um, but it's totally charming, the whole animation the style. Great. It's so, it's just, it's like, you know, complete Wes Anderson-ism. And if, like I say this about all his films, like, if you like Wes Anderson, you'll probably love it. If you hate Wes Anderson, you're going to hate this too. Yeah. I definitely um, liked Fantastic Mr. Fox better. Um, yeah. But I thought this was good. And it was, it's definitely a more mature Movie. For sure. I, um, like the minute it ended, I was like, I really want to see it again. Cause I felt like there was so much, like I was watching it because I was really interested in the story and just following along. But there kind of, is like, kind of that Black Panther thing. Like there's so much in the world they created mm-hmm. and the backgrounds and images and all this other business that was going on that I felt like. I really want to like go back and like get all of that little goodness out. Cause I've watched fantastic Mr. Fox a lot. Cause mm-hmm. it's my younger son's favorite movie. Speaking of which we just adopted a new dog <laughs> and he's adorable. And we named him Ash after the Jason Schwartzman character in mm-hmm. fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> so because I said we were trying to decide and I said to my son, I was like, all right, well what's your favorite movie? 
And he said, Fantastic Mr. Fox. He said, oh, we could name him Ash. And I said, okay, cool. And he goes, and then that way he could also be um, from the Evil Dead or from Pokemon. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So, so we have a new puppy named Ash, and he's awesome. So I'm definitely like, I'm all like oogie and squishy over dogs right now anyway. So to watch I Love Dogs, <laughs> I was like, dogs are the best thing ever. <clears throat> it was really great. Um, I think watching, that's our only crossover for yeah. stuff we've watched. I've been watching tons of stuff. I've like just binging through tons of stuff. Not a lot of note. I will say, if you're looking for a fun way to spend an afternoon and you just want to laugh, Nailed It is great. It is um, uh, a cooking, a baking competition show with contestants who don't know how to bake where they have like to do... It's like a Pinterest fail. Yeah. But it's super funny. And it's just silly. <laughs> um, and that, I really I really enjoyed watching that. Series of Unfortunate Events just started again. We've only oh, yeah. watched the first couple of episodes, but that's Audrey really great. I watched great. the first couple of those, too. Um, what else have I, I... I've watched so much stuff, it's ridiculous. I watched uh, season one of Imposters, which was, again, kind of mindless fun about, like, con artists... Um, Santa Clarita Diet season two, which like went by like that, and I was like, "What just happened? Oh, it's <laughs> over already. Okay, I don't really care." Um, what else? Have I, I like seriously, I've watched so much stuff. Oh, Frankenstein Chronicles, which was kind of interesting. First season was pretty good. Um, it's uh, Sean Bean plays a London right. detective, and the idea is that you're in London in the eighteen. 18- late 1820s, I guess, like after Frankenstein has been published. Um, so it's in the, like people know of it and, a body is found that has been stitched together and that people think it has to do with this whole political thing about, um, doctors and hospitals versus other people who give medical care. Um, it, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know. I, it was interesting. It was a little gruesome. Definitely not something to watch if you don't like, if you are, um, if you have issues with bad things happening to children because very bad things happen to children. But, you know, it was kind of interesting. And, like, Mary Shelley, like, shows up as a character, like, oh. in the story because, you know, this thing is happening that is so reminiscent of what she wrote about. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I watched a million okay. other things. I can't remember any of it right now. Uh, I went to see Annihilation. Oh, which right. Is a sci-fi yeah. movie with um, Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. It was different from other sci-fi. Big, I'm not sure if I was talking to you about it. Like mm-hmm. how sci-fi usually goes either into like space opera adventure category um, like Star Wars, mm-hmm. or it goes into horror, mm-hmm. like Alien, and those are kind of the two, the two paths that people take. This was kind of different. It was not at all horror, but had has like some horrific things in it. I remember you saying um, the exact same thing about why you liked Moon. Yes, I also like Moon. Yeah, it's more of a drama. It's a space drama. <laughs> yeah. Um, the acting was good. Basically, it's about. Uh, this woman whose husband has gone, his in the military, he's gone on a special mi- mission. She thinks he's dead. He appears and then um, gets really sick. 
and these people show up and take him away. And she is um, some kind of scientist, biologist maybe. Um, and they, the those same people come pick her up because they think she may have been exposed to him, mm-hmm. you know. And she finds out that uh, this some type of extraterrestrial thing has crashed into Earth. And they're trying to figure it out, and it's kind of, um, it's spreading, and it has created kind of a force field shield thing around itself, and they've sent in multiple um, parties made up of all men, of soldiers and scientists, and none of them have come back. And so then she uh, is sent in with, I think, three or four other women Right, because it's Tessa Thompson and Jennifer Rodriguez. Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Yeah. So they go in because they're like, well, maybe if we send women in, something will happen. True. Um, And then you find out what's behind the thing. So it's interesting. It's got some terrible, violent things in it. It's got kind of a drama aspect. There's this love story between Natalie Portman and her husband and then it gets a little arty at the mm-hmm. end. But I really liked it. I thought it was yeah. really interesting. Oh, I've got to go back after we recorded last and you said how much you liked the end of the effing world. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to watch that. And I think my problem was that I didn't really understand what it was really about. Oh. And I didn't know how dark it was. Uh, and then dark. it like completely destroyed me. Mm-hmm. And I was like traumatized by it. Really good. Mm-hmm. Very traumatic. And then when it was over, I was like, I need to watch something else. And then I was like, rooting around on Netflix for something else to watch. And I was like, I'm going to watch Kung Fu Panda 3. Because <laughs> I need an antidote to yeah. that trauma. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. That also has really good music. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. I watched It Comes at Night, which is a horror movie. Mm. I'm not sure if I liked it. Is that related to It Follows? No. No. <laughs> Although that would make sense. Given but the title. I thought, yeah, I think, I think there is something coming out that is related to It Follows, but anyway. No. I but, don't know. Yeah. There is that quiet one. Oh, the where quiet they can't place talk. that's coming. Yeah. yeah. The Emily Blunt. Um, it was interesting, like, some kind of viral outbreak has happened, and you're basically following this family who's out in the middle of the woods. They have their outpost. And then, of course, someone else shows up and they have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You're not really sure if it's a virus or if it's, uh, like, animals or you don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's a kind of a survival horror thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Pass. <laughs> it, was, it was okay. Yeah. I, someone told me it was really good, and so maybe I was, and I trust his, uh, taste in movies, we have very similar taste in movies, and I just, like, was not as impressed as he was, but I thought it was good, just not what I thought it would be. Yeah. I watched that series, Ugly Delicious. Did you watch that? Yeah, I watched that, I watched that one, too. Yeah. And I really enjoyed watching it. I did, too. um, again, it's sort of a lot of issues that that come up around the dinner table in my own family. Um, I mean, David Chang is the host. Yeah. So he's the chef 
from Momofuku and Momofuku Co. Mm-hmm. And Noodle Bar. He's Korean. He's so Korean American, yeah. but he's sort of famous for cooking Japanese food. Yeah. But he's exploring, each episode is exploring a different type of food. But in each episode goes pizza, pasta, uh, fried chicken. chicken. But in each episode, he kind of still ends up like coming around and making that comparison to foods you'd find in Asian cuisines. Mm -hmm. And that race on a number of levels is very much the central issue of the show. Race and class. Yes, for sure. Um... And so, yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. I love it. it. He has a really good sense of humor. He does curse a lot because he's a chef and they do that. Yes. Um, But he travels a lot and he has, he kind of talks with people who um, are kind of specialists in whatever they do. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into cultural and historical backgrounds of the foods that people eat. Like even in the taco one, they're like, when tell these food trucks in L.A., but they also went to that place in, is it Copenhagen? Mm-hmm. Where they talked about uh, that woman. Where they went, yes, because it's uh, Noma in Copenhagen that there's a taco Mexican-American place. chef who had worked at Noma for a number of years who opened a taco place. But then the chef, what's his name, Rene, I don't remember. Anyway, he decided to open a restaurant in Mexico. So they like, he basically like moves his whole restaurant yeah. to Mexico for six months to study the ingredients and the cuisine and to create like this very, um, location specific type of food. And yeah. anyway, it's really an interesting But they also show. eat Taco Bell in that episode. So yes. I feel like they do a really good job of addressing race and class in history mm-hmm. and cultural appropriation mm-hmm. through food. Um, incredibly well. Yes. I thought it was great. They also, like the fried chicken episode, they talk quite a bit with Eduardo Jordan, who's a Seattle chef who yeah. has a restaurant. And now, no, I will never get to go to June Puck ever I, again. Or, yeah, or June Baby. June Baby. Yeah. And I it know. just got written up in the New York Times. Yeah. So. It'll be a while before you can eat that. No reservations. <laughs> yeah, but Solari you can still go to, and that's yeah. amazing. Um, I just wanted to eat the catfish. It was, actually, there, there was a, there's a conversation. He's going home to cook Thanksgiving dinner at his Oh, I at his love mom's. that episode. And there were so many things where I'm like, yes. Like, well, first of all, his parents' house could be the house my in-laws lived in, like, to, <laughs> like, comp- like, to a T. But he's talking about, oh, I remember when I was a young chef, I was working Garmanger, and I went home, and I did this ridiculous meal where I cooked for, like, two days for my family. And he's going through this whole thing, and his friend's like, well, yeah, you were so glad to touch hot food. And I was just like, oh my gosh, because it's totally my older son. He works at this very upscale restaurant, but he's garmanger, and he's, which means he's doing cold preparations. He works in a Scandinavian restaurant. There's a lot of cold preparations, but he's doing all the cold preparations. He's like dying to get like promoted mm-hmm. to the hotline. And he came home for four days, and he spent two full days cooking this like actually Korean fried chicken feast <laughs> based on David Chang's recipe. Um, and it was just like, yes, this is like, there was just like something so true about that. <laughs> and then you go to his parents' house and I'm like, I've been in that house. Yes. And then what was so interesting though, he keeps talking about like, you know, how he thinks Korean food is like, it's the next thing it's coming, it's coming and trying to draw these parallels. Like, oh, you love this thing, but there's this thing in, you know, this Asian cuisine, you love this thing, there's this thing. And then I went to Whole, uh, uh, Trader Joe's rather the other day. You know, they have the end cap with like the new things they're mm-hmm. introducing. They ha- Trader Joe's has their own brand of gochujang sauce. 
So Here we which go. Is Korean hot sauce, um, like the sweet yeah. chili sauce. Um, and I like snapped a picture of it and sent it to Wes, and I was like, "You've arrived, honey." <laughs> Like, Korean food's here, because, mm-hmm. like, they sell kimchi already at Trader Joe's, yeah. too. Um, yeah, so it was really, it was definitely, like, for me, um, a lot of things where I was, like, just, I was really relating to a lot of it. Um, and then just spending time with some really interesting chefs. Oh, he spends time with Corey Lee, who's the chef that my son really wants to work with, who's another Korean-American chef who works in the Bay Area, but also, like, Massimo Baturo and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just... So I think even if you're not, like, a food person, you'd probably enjoy it. From, yeah, like, there's just cultural historical perspective. Interesting stuff that he's doing. Like, it's really crass. Cultural anthropology. <laughs> if you don't mind cursing. Yeah. Because It's just, crass. And yeah. He's... It's fun, know, though. I, he's kind of a jerk, but but in a fun way. No, yeah. I, I, lo- I really enjoyed it. I totally binged it. And mm-hmm. there were so many things that I saw in that where I was like... Yes, yes, and mm-hmm. just like really related to, and um, yeah, I was excited about. It. I just thought it was really cool. It was an interesting show. Yeah, I hope they do another season. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last kind of I've watched a bunch of crap. <laughs> the last <laughs> interesting thing I watched um, is a docu series called Wild Wild Country on mm-hmm. Netflix about the Rajneeshis, um, which I didn't know anything about. The Rajneeshis um, are, because they are uh, current, and I hesitate to call them a cult. They are referenced a lot as a cult. Um, they're an Eastern religious sect. And Noah and I had a very long conversation about why I did or did not consider them a cult, um, which I don't need to get into. Um, but they moved from India. There's a religious guru. And he, his vision was to move them out of India, possibly for tax um, and other law legal issues. And they ended up moving into kind of central North Oregon. Um, and they were going to build a town, which they did. And then the town, the tiny town that was nearby, because they bought a ranch that was like 80,000 acres. Mm-hmm. And they built, um, they turned it kind of arid desert land back into, well, they turned it into farmland. They had, um, you know, a huge number of people there. Well, it's they probably built right around where, um, Imperial stock is like the high, the high desert yeah. in North central Oregon. Yeah. Um, but the small town there, which I understand, like the small town was like retired people. There's like a hundred people maybe that live there. Um, all white, conservative Christian people. They just didn't get it. And the woman who was in charge of building the town is a force of nature. And I feel like her interactions with the town were bad. And it, the town challenged that this other community should be there. The Rajneeshi is Rajneesh Purim is what they named it. Um, because they thought there was just going to be like a ranch, mm. ranch and farming, and that building a town out there was a land use violation. Mm. But they also didn't like that there were all these people dressed in red and orange because mm. they all dressed in solid colors, um, and that they were practicing nude sunbathing <laughs> a lot. Uh, There's a housing shortage, so the 
um, Rajneeshis purchased a lot of the houses that were for sale in the town and started to force the townspeople out. Um, it was kind of a hostile, it was definitely a hostile takeover by the Rajneeshis and the woman who was in charge. Uh, Sheila is not, she just knows what she wants and she goes and she takes it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I admire that, but also like not super great for the community when you right. have to deal with legal issues. Um, there's also some poisoning that happened. She spread salmonella Ooh. to people in the Dale Dalles. Um, God. cause she was trying to flood the area with Rajneeshis and Rajneeshi supporters to win local elections so they could get someone in power to sway Man. the local government. So she, they had a lab, <laughs> they like cultivated salmonella. Um, That's and nice. yeah, <laughs> and they had tried to kill a couple people. Okay. So that stuff was super shady and it's not clear. It wasn't clear to me whether or not the guru had given her these orders mm-hmm. or if she was acting on her own. Mm-hmm. I think that he knew about it yeah. and gave her the go ahead but it eventually went to court um, and she did some time in prison. She tried to flee the country. She was brought back, like all this stuff. It's super interesting. And they were called a cult by the conservative Christians. Mm -hmm. I would say they are not um, because there's still people practicing this. Mm -hmm. I know that there are still people practicing like heaven's gate practitioners Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, like, I mean, there wasn't mind control, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. They weren't telling people they couldn't, like, stay in touch with their families. Right. They weren't forcing them to give up all their money. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all these other things that that were part of it where I'm like, well, they were just, like, a younger Eastern religion. Mm-hmm. Um, with, but they have thousands, tens of thousands of practitioners, I think, still. Oh. Um, but the whole poisoning. Yeah, you know, once you start poisoning people, you kind of lose the And the way they they did it was (laughs) they, um, was, they went to restaurants where there were buffets and, like, put it on the lettuce and stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know, I can't remember if people died or if, like, there was just, like, this mass bout of salmonella poisoning. Um... It was just like a wrong way to go about yeah, it. That's not the right way. To <laughs> but go. it's really interesting. I think it's six or eight parts. Um, I feel like they did a pretty balanced job of of representing both sides. I don't feel like they were the pro like, poisoning and the con. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry. Showing yeah, showing people's um, like xenophobia, right? But also showing the bad things that right. the the people that like. It was pretty even. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed it, especially since I didn't know any, anything about it. And it was like, oh, there's this whole docuseries about the Rajneeshis. And he's like, I just looked at him and he was like, oh, it's a cult. And then that's why we had the conversation about why or why it wasn't yeah. a cult. Um, but I recommend it if you like that. And the music is good. I was surprised. <laughs> but there's a lot of uh, historical footage, and they use a lot of the news 
reels and stuff mm-hmm. from the time. Because it was in the 80s. Yeah. Early 80s to 90s that it was going on. So, yeah. Super interesting. Cool. Yeah. Whew. It could have been longer, but you forgot your notes. I know. Gosh. <laughs> well, that's been a long chat. Yeah. Thanks for hanging in there. Yep. Um, you can find our show notes at doublenet.net. Mm-hmm. And you can talk to us at Doublenet Podcast Fans group on Ravelry. Mm-hmm. And until next time. Hopefully less than two months. Yes. <laughs> sooner. Uh, farewell. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Do you feel the crushing fear?